You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of NCBA's Beltway Beef podcast. And today we're joined by NCBA Executive Director of Government Affairs, Kent Backus, who's back in the U.S. after a week over in Europe at the World Meat Congress. So, Kent, welcome back to the U.S. Tell us a little bit about the World Meat Congress and what happened to that event. Well, you know, it's always good to to be home. Uh, You know, we were in Europe uh, for the week uh, attending the World Meat Congress in Maastricht, Netherlands. And uh, for those of you who don't know where that is, because I certainly didn't before I got there, it's about uh, about a two-hour train ride from Brussels, three hours from Amsterdam, and only about 60 kilometers. So not that far, but it does, uh, does take a while to get there. Definitely in a rural part, kind of the rural hub of Europe. And so Netherlands hosted the, the World Meat Congress this year. Uh, World Meat Congress is essentially, we kind of dub it sometimes as the United Nations of Meat. It is a gathering of meat industry representatives from all over the world. So beef, pork, lamb, uh, chickens not included because, you know, it's only focused on meat. So uh, for us, NCBA has been involved in the World Meat Congress for the the last few uh, series that the the last couple that they've had. Uh, Previous one was in Dallas and the one before that was in uh, China. And so uh, World Meat Congress is a gathering of the International Meat Secretariat, which is a uh, nonprofit organization that consists of all these these trade groups. NCBA has been part of that for a better part of the last decade. That is a, a, an, it's an association that is recognized by many of the international bodies, including the World Trade Organization, um, the World Organization for Animal Health, the Codex Alimentarius, uh, and, and several others. So that means that they have standing and that they can actually engage in a lot of those meetings. So it does give us an opportunity to participate uh, from time to time to really advocate for science-based standards and to you know to really uh, try to build uh, our network of contacts so that we can we can coordinate and work together with like-minded uh, producers around the world uh, like it or not you know the NGOs have a you know they have a lot of sway in a lot of these other places and so uh, knowing what their activities are in Europe or in Asia or in other parts of the world, uh, it really helps us kind of monitor what's happening here, what could potentially happen to here. At the same time, we, we also talk a lot about macroeconomic issues of what's happening, the impacts of inflation, of you know, geopolitical developments in you know, Eastern Europe and Russia, uh, in Africa, in the Middle East, uh, and in Asia and just how all of that kind of plays together. So this was, uh, this was our, our uh, you know, biannual gathering. And um, you know, it was a good opportunity for us to really sit down uh, with producers from all over the world, talk about some shared concerns, talk about ideas, uh, and really uh, try to collaborate on some key issues like sustainability, like uh, you know, addressing some of the concerns with animal welfare, with cell culture proteins, a lot of uh, you know very important forward-thinking concepts that are going to impact all of us. So this was a, a very good experience for us. Kent, I want to dive into some of the conversations you actually had in some of these meetings. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, animal welfare. Tell us a little bit about uh, some of the topics that were discussed. So specifically, when you look at animal welfare, this is a this is an emerging issue, definitely a more prominent issue 
and the European Union. You have a lot of the NGOs, the activist groups that essentially have more say with their government and with government policies than a lot of the producers do. So since the Europeans hosted, they invited these NGOs to come and, and speak and to, to talk about what they're doing, not really to help them promote what they're doing, but to really expose it. And so it was very educational for us because you essentially had the equivalent of the ASPCA the ASPCA in the Netherlands that, uh, you know, she was talking about how, you know, consumers do not trust uh, us. They don't trust our ability to provide an adequate level of animal welfare for our livestock. You know, the, the interesting part of that is that these are the same groups that are telling consumers that, you know, they're, they're the ones that are putting that message out there. So they're the ones that are telling them, you can't trust these producers. We got to hold them accountable. And then on the flip side of that, these same animal welfare groups are then standing up in front of livestock producers and saying, here's the problem, but we have the solution. We have a certification program that we can put together for you that'll help you, you know, uh, earn the trust of those consumers. So, you know, one of our, uh, one of our attendees that was there, uh, one of the folks within CBA uh, <clears throat> asked a very pointed question and said, well, you know, how can you stand up there and talk about, you know, how we can't be trusted by consumers when you're the one that is actually saying this. And then you're the same one that's saying you're the only one that carries a solution is, you know, where we come from, we call that a racket. You know, that's definitely a protection racket is, you know, we created this problem. Now we have the only solution and that's the only way that you're going to be able to get out of the situation. Needless to say, the uh, animal welfare groups didn't take too kindly to that. Uh, they don't like uh, their, their dirty tricks being exposed, but that's exactly what's necessary. So this gave us a chance to, to continue to have that conversation. We're already seeing that here, though. If you look at some of the legislation that's been pushed, you look at what the activist groups are trying to do. It's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to sow, you know, these seeds of doubt in, you know, our industry and in, in our industry representatives like NCBA. They're trying to, to cause a lot of doubt and chaos so that they can step in and be the solution. There's nothing new to this, but we got to see this in a, on a broader global scale. So that's why it's so important for us to continue to engage on some key issues like that. Well, Kent, sustainability is always a top priority for the cattle industry. What are the international conversations on that looking like? Well, one of the big topics of, of discussion was the metrics of measuring greenhouse gas emissions and making sure that, the, that those are science-based. Uh, a lot of there's a lot of pressure from companies and from NGOs uh, to to try to discourage meat consumption and cattle production, or livestock production overall. So World Meat Congress gave us an opportunity to to compare notes essentially, but to also to hear directly from scientists who work on these issues. Uh, there is a lot of alignment around the GWP star methodology, and I think that's important because that really helps us, uh, you know, focus on the right kind of measurements uh, for emissions. And keep in mind, you can't have a one size fits all approach on a lot of this stuff. So you gotta make sure that the science is applicable and that it's something that, that we can use. For us, uh, you know, in the United States, we, you know, we have some of the lowest emissions uh, per, uh, per pound in the world. Uh, if you look at the, the ground beef and, and the, the beef that we're producing here, <clears throat> it's done very efficiently. Uh, it's some, some of the highest standards 
And we really are uh, a, a great example of what can be achieved. I think that also gave us a lot of chance, uh, chances to talk about, you know, some of the efficiencies we use and the fact that, you know, the grain finishing uh, methods that we use actually help us have a, uh, you know, generate a, a high quality product with a lower uh, carbon footprint. So you, you've got a lot of these, uh, you know, these, these kind of scientific discussions that are going to happen. This gave us a chance to really engage from a producer perspective and make sure that, you know, that that science that is going to be uh, shared and it's going to be uh, applied when these standards are, are being set is accurate. Uh, we also talked a lot about making sure that, you know, that environmental standards and sustainability don't become a roadblock to trade as well, that we can use it as something that, that enhances trade. Uh, there are a lot of, there's a lot of pressure with some, with some other countries to, to really uh, start to restrict uh, consumption of beef based off of environmental concerns. Um, They want to create a sin tax or a meat tax, you know, off of this to discourage that. So, I think it's imperative that we continue to to talk about the benefits of cattle production, of what we do here in the United States, the efficiencies that we have. This gave us a platform to do that. And I think we walked away with a lot more allies because we were able to engage directly and talk about the science and about uh, just the, the, uh, the efficiencies that we have here. Kent, you mentioned cell-cultured proteins. Let's talk a little bit about that. We know it's an emerging issue here in the U.S. What's going on in Europe? This was one of the most fascinating things that, that I've seen. Um, can, you know, keep in mind, this was the, the World Meat Congress. And so for many, for many people, we see, uh, for many producers, you know, we definitely see the, this as, as one of the, the big futuristic issues, the emerging issues that's a big concern here in the United States, we want to make sure that it's regulated properly. We want to make sure that you can't just pass this off as, as the real McCoy. But when you look at Europe, they have some major food security issues, and you know they have producers that uh, that are really trying to hammer down on how this product can be labeled, and it's we're taking just a very different approach to it. So it was interesting to to kind of see their approach to it of of what the product could be called. Um, but you have a lot of these startup companies, these cell culture companies that have, that have found a home in Europe and one in particular in the town where this conference was hosted. So that company was invited to come and speak to the world meat Congress. And, uh, you know, they talk a lot about, you know, how they really want to focus on the production of ground beef. And this one company in particular, I believe they're called Mosa Meats. Um, one of their big financiers is Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. There's other celebrities and chefs that are involved in this too. But this is all being pitched as this is going to address food security. This is going to be a way to eliminate slaughter of animals and still provide beef for you know uh, all these consumers. Uh, their goal is to is to put us out of business. They that is what they want to do. But they have to use the intellectual property from cattle to do it. So they claim that they can take a few cells from either the shoulder or the rump and generate 80,000 burger patties from that. So, you know, I, I asked, a, asked a very pointed question about, you know, how exactly they plan to compensate producers for the intellectual property that they're using. Because you think about it, it's taken, it's probably, it'll take some you know, producers 
to that develop very good genetics that these companies want to they want to take and they want to you know multiply that. It's taking that producer generations to produce that, and that's through uh, proper genetics and animal handling and all kinds of other investments they've had to make. So now this company wants to step in, take that, and benefit from all the all the previous investments from that, that producer. So that was my question: Is how are you going to compensate that producer? Are you going to pay them a flat fee just for those little samples, or it sounds to me like this is something that should be more like a licensing agreement, where you could essentially pay them for every single unit or every single patty that they ever produce? I said, but either way, we need a real we need to have a serious conversation about what proper compensation for livestock producers looks like. Uh, that did not go over well with these companies who hadn't considered that. And I don't think it, I don't think it landed too, uh, uh, too well with some of the other, uh, you know, meat processing companies that were in the room too, that may be looking at that as a way to kind of, you know, hedge their margins. But for us, you know, these are the kind of questions we need to ask. These are the things we need to look at. We need to look at what the realistic, uh, solutions are for producers and compensation always has to be part of that discussion. Obviously, you know, we need to continue to look at making sure these products are regulated properly, that they're labeled properly, and that producers can remain competitive in all of this. But make no bones about it. These businesses, these emerging businesses and technologies are, are trying to compete directly with us. And in many cases, they want to make us obsolete. You know, when it comes to agriculture, <laughs> we often look at Europe as a bellwether for the types of issues and policies we're going to see you know, maybe being pushed here in the U.S. in the next few years. Talk to us about why it's so important to engage in these international conversations ahead of time. Well, I think that's just it is, uh, you know, it's it's important for us to to learn more about, you know, what is developing in other parts of the world where we could see, uh, you know, pressures from NGOs, from activist groups, where governments are trying to address solutions like uh, like climate issues, like uh, food security issues. Those are all conversations that are going to happen. And so we can either be part of them and make sure that our voices are represented or other people will step in and tell that for us. And that's exactly what some of these other NGOs have tried to do is they've tried to pass themselves off as the face of agriculture. We've seen that here at home. We've seen that with some of the recent legislation that NCBA has you know, been able to defeat is people trying to pass themselves off as actual producers. It is the same thing, but on a global scale. So that is why NCBA is engaged in these broader discussions is to make sure that we can convey that message. We can tell that story and we can stand up for producers because those same issues, those same policy proposals that we're seeing in Europe and in Asia and other parts of the world are coming to our shores. So we can engage we can, we can have that conversation there and we can really try to, you know, hammer down on the science and hammer down on the important things that are, that are principles for us, uh, or we can deal with the aftermath. So this is why NCBA continues to engage. Uh, I think we're going to see, you know, more activity. Uh, there's, there's obviously going to be a lot more pressure to adopt more European style policies here uh, over the next few years. There's a lot of pressure from NGOs to do that. Uh, so knowing what they're doing ahead of time helps us prepare, helps us to engage. Ken, as I understand it, we have some news to share about NCBA taking on some leadership roles within these international organizations, including the International Meat Secretariat. What's the latest there? So, uh, you know, our commitment to 
engaging, it means that we're not just going to sit on the sidelines. We're going to try to, you know, be, uh, we're going to try to take this in a positive direction and, and do that through leadership. Uh, so uh, I am uh, going to serve on the board of directors for uh, the International Meat Secretariat. And uh, the subset of that that makes a lot of the other decisions is called the Executive Council, and I'll be serving uh, on that body as well. Uh, and to add to that, uh, we also have uh, some species-specific uh, committees. One of them includes beef, uh, beef and cattle. So I'm going to be uh, heading that committee as well. That'll give us more opportunities to talk about some of these key issues, to engage with a lot of the technical experts in other parts of the world to share that information specific to cattle and beef production and those key issues that are emerging. Well, Kent, thank you so much for the update today. Uh, thank you very much. This has been another episode of Beltway Beef. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.